Good evening and welcome to this evening service of Beckles Baptist Church here on our YouTube channel. I'm Tom Fanning and I'm the pastor of this church. I'm going to be leading and a little bit later preaching in this service. As we mentioned each week, so we mentioned again, our services will continue to appear on YouTube in the weeks ahead. And please do subscribe to our YouTube channel if you've not yet done that so far. That will help you keep up to date with all that's going on here at the church and have news and information out from us. This evening we are continuing our sermon series in 1 Samuel and brings us today to 1 Samuel chapter 17, that encounter between David and Goliath. And we look forward to seeing what God has to say to us there. We're going to begin our service, however, by reading some verses from Psalm 68, which describe the God of heaven as being a God who's victorious over his enemies. May God arise, may his enemies be scattered, may his foes flee before him. May you blow them out, may you blow them away like smoke, as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God, may, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful, sing to God, sing praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds, rejoice before him, his name is the Lord. Our God is the victorious God who cannot be defeated and whose enemies cannot stand before him. He is a God of justice and love and it is glorious that we know him in the Lord Jesus. We're going to begin by praying a prayer together. It's a prayer of praise that we have printed on our prayer cards in our Bibles that we'd often use here in the building. The words will come up on the screen, and if you feel able to pray this along with me, then please do. The prayer begins, accept, O Lord. Accept, O Lord, our thanks and praise for all that you have done for us. We thank you for the splendour of the whole creation, for the beauty of this world, for the wonder of life, and for the mystery of love. We thank you for the blessing of family and friends, and for the loving care which surrounds us on every side. Above all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the truth of his word and the example of his life. Thank you that he overcame temptation by his steadfast obedience. We praise you for his death, which paid the penalty of sin, and we rejoice that he rose to life again, by which we are raised to life of your kingdom. Grant us the gift of your Spirit, that we may know him and make him known, and help us to give you thanks through him at all times and in all things. Amen. Psalm 68 encouraged us to sing to God, to sing his praises and extol him as the great God of all. And we're going to do that in song now, a great hymn that announces that our confidence as Christians is in Christ alone. Christ alone, my hope is found. 
We're not going to have a Bible reading separate from the sermon this evening. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to read a large part of the chapter we're looking at in the sermon. So if you haven't got a Bible to hand, please press pause, run and grab one, and then come back and join us. And everyone else, please do, if you've got a Bible, turn with me to 1 chapter, 1 Samuel, chapter 17. And as we turn there, let's pray. Father in heaven... 
please would you encourage our hearts as we look back in the scriptures now. Would you by your spirit teach us of the Lord Jesus and would you help us put our faith in him and cling tight to him we pray. Amen. The thought of facing an enemy that we are incapable of contending with is a terrifying thought. And yet, whether we are aware of it or not, this is the situation that everyone finds themselves in today. Because everyone is heading towards the inevitability of contending with death. Death is an enemy, however, that we cannot contend with. The best we can do is delay its arrival. But one day, all of us, should the Lord Jesus not return beforehand, will face the inevitability inevitability of our own death, we will come face to face with our own mortality. But what makes death a truly terrifying enemy is sin, because sin announces that death is not simply the, the end of life, but the beginning of judgment before a holy God, judgment that we will fail in because of our sin. On our own, we are incapable of contending with these two fearsome enemies, sin and death. Now, the world around us will often do its best to avoid looking at these things, because it has no answer to them. Just think back to the beginning of the coronavirus, when that landed here in the UK with devastating effects, many people started tuning into religious services and started praying. Uh, we're told one survey, what a third of 18 to 34-year-olds started tuning into religious services online for the first time. Why did they do it? Well, because they were looking for answers that they did not have when facing a foe that they could not contend with. As they saw the reality of their own mortality, they thought, I can't deal with the foe of my death. And so they tuned in. As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are able to look these enemies in the eye, not because of any strength within us, but because the Lord Jesus Christ has given us the victory over them. And not only does Jesus give us victory over sin and death, but also over Satan. The Bible is crystal clear that Satan is the cunning and powerful enemy of God and his people, and that it is through him that um, sin and death came into the world. And now he continues to lead people astray into sin, and he holds the power of death over all of humanity. So if we are to gain victory over sin and death, we need someone to provide victory over Satan. And the great news is that Jesus has done exactly that. 1 Samuel chapter 17, the story of David and Goliath, one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, is a vivid picture of what Jesus has done for you and me in destroying these enemies we cannot contend with. And it's my prayer that as we look at, the Lord Je as we look at this passage, we will be encouraged to cling ever tighter to the Lord Jesus as the only one who can give us victory over sin and death and Satan. So throughout this passage, we will jump from seeing things about David and then we'll see how they are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, who is referred to repeatedly as the son of David. 
in the New Testament. Now, getting our bearings back in 1 Samuel, there are two main characters. Uh, Saul, he is the current king who has been rejected by God. And then there is David, who is the future king, anointed by God, but as yet he's not been publicly revealed. However, all of that is about to change in his running with Goliath. We're going to look at our passage under three headings, the second of which will be clearly the longest. And the first heading is this. Your enemies are too much for you. Your enemies are too much for you. As we arrive in 1 Samuel chapter 17, the battle lines have been drawn up between Israel and the Philistines. Both armies are camped on Hills facing each other with a valley in between. Look down with me to verse 4. If you've never looked in a Bible before, the chapters there indicated by the big numbers, the verses there indicated by the little numbers. So little number 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze, weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. Nowhere else in the Old Testament do we have such a vivid and lengthy description of an enemy of God's people in battle. And all that we read here should leave us open-mouthed and somewhat fearful as we see Goliath walk out. His height, for a starter, was vast. He was uh, nine foot nine inches tall, or if you wanted in metric, three metres. He's heavily armed, and what he's wearing is cutting-edge technology. His armour would weigh upwards of 130 pounds or 60 kilos. That's the size of a medium-sized person, medium-sized adult. And note that he's got help. He's got a shield-bearer who would have brought out this massive shield, offering enormous protection for Goliath. The picture should make a shudder. But what makes him all the more terrifying is that as he marches out, he, he redefines the battle. And no longer will it be one army against another. No, now Israel needs to stump up a representative, a champion to fight with Goliath. Israel needs a champion to represent them. Now put yourself in the shoes of the Israelite army for a second. It would have been bad enough to have thought, we've got to fight that army with that bloke on their side but now they've got to stump up one man to go and fight against Goliath. Well, he's toast, and so are we. Israel's enemy is too much for them. And to make matters worse, having thrown down the gauntlet, look what Goliath says in verse 10. Then the Philistines said this day, I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. That word defy is a highly significant word. It's going to turn up throughout the passage. It means to mock, to ridicule, to taunt and pour contempt on someone else. In effect, Goliath is saying, you bunch of Israelites are a bunch of lily-livered wimps and you're 
your God is so incompetent, he could never save you from me. In light of what Goliath says and what he looks like, how do the people of Israel respond? Well, they should have responded, heard the Lord being mocked by Goliath. They should have turned to God, knowing that he would come to their rescue when threatened by a foe like this. But instead of turning to God in prayer for rescue, they don't do that. Instead, they simply wet themselves with fear and dread. And it is not just the soldiers, it's their king who does the same. Look at verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And to make matters worse, we're told that this mocking, taunting, challenging goes on for 40 days. And at the end of it, they have not conquered their fears. They are instead conquered in fear. Look how they're described down in verse 24. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, that's Goliath, they all fled from him in great fear. Israel's enemy is too much for them. It would seem that Israel is suffering from a pandemic of its own as we meet them here. It's a pandemic of spiritual heart disease, and everybody's got it. It is a failure of faith. They don't turn to God in prayer. And what's the symptom that proves the disease? Fear. And everybody's got it. There's a piece of detail about Goliath's armour that's worth pausing and just examining more carefully. We're told that Goliath's armour in verse 5 was scale armour. Literally, Goliath was covered in scales, the original said. It's armour that makes Goliath look like a serpent. Now, why is that important? Because Goliath here is another pen portrait of Satan, that wicked, cunning and powerful enemy of God's people who turned up in Genesis 3 at the beginning of the Bible in the form of a snake. He's the enemy that ultimately needs to be defeated. He's the enemy that God's people cannot contend with on their own. And and there have been previous pictures of Satan in the past. Think of um, Pharaoh in Egypt, whose appearance was like that of a snake. Think of Nahash, the king of the Ammonites, back in 1 Samuel chapter 11. His name means snake. And what was it that God's people needed to rescue them from these foes? They needed a leader who would defeat their foes, Moses and Saul. But God's people, bound by this heart disease, seem incapable of looking to the Lord for rescue from Goliath. If only they'd prayed, everything surely would have been different. If only they didn't have this heart disease. If only there was a a champion whose heart was different, whose heart was like the Lord's heart. Before we go on, we need to just see the connection between the Israelites and you and me. Goliath is a vivid picture of the enemies that we face, sin and death and Satan. And Israel is a picture of us, If we fail to look to God for help 
in contending with these enemies. The same spiritual heart disease that blighted them blights us, and without God's help, we will be overcome with fear when facing our enemies. But thanks be to God that he's not left us without help. He has sent to us a champion king who is too much for our enemies. And this brings us to our second heading, which will be the longest heading, and it is this. God's king is too much for our enemies. God's king is too much for our enemies. Having portrayed Goliath as an invincible enemy, we then see God's king revealed as a a very ordinary young man. In our passage, David is presented as both a hidden king and then a revealed king. So let's think about this hidden king, the hidden king, a hidden king, verses 12 to 14. Now, unlike Goliath's description, which was utterly unmissable, the opening description of David makes him very easy to overlook. He's the youngest of eight brothers, and he's not even old enough to serve in the army, so that his dad's just using him as an errand boy, running errands between Jesse, the dad, and the sons in the army. Now, sure enough, we are on the inside track, as we We've been tracking through chapter 16, seeing David anointed. But the reality is that for Saul and his army, they have no idea that God has chosen David and that his heart is different. Upon arriving at the battle, no one takes much notice of David. Look at verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines, his lines, and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. But while it may be easy for us to overlook David, it's clear that he's come to the battle with the one thing necessary for them to fight this great foe. He's come to the battle with deep faith in the Lord. But this faith, that he has in the Lord, will see this hidden king rejected. He will be rejected. Look at verse 26. Uh, This is the very first words we ever hear David say in the Bible, and they are words full of faith. Verse 26, David asked the man standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? where everyone else has been utterly terrified by Goliath and his threats, David is outraged. Where everyone else sees no way forward, David is plotting how he's going to kill this man and this monster. It would seem that this heart disease, this spiritual heart disease that blights everyone, hasn't touched David. But what's the response of his fellow Israelites Well, this hidden king is rejected. 
Well, some tell him in answer to his question of the reward for killing Goliath, David's elder brother rejects him outright. Look at verse 28. When Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Here's the hidden king that God's anointed, but he's rejected by his family. Rejected by his family. Sounds a bit like Joseph, doesn't it, from the end of Genesis, whose brothers sold him into slavery in Egypt. But while he was there, he ended up becoming prime minister and worked to save and rescue his entire family. Could David, could David, this hidden king, do the same in spite of his rejection? Could there be hope for Israel yet? While Eliab has rejected David out of hand, David is undeterred and carries on rabbiting on about what's going to be done when this Philistine's killed. Eventually, enough soldiers have heard it and they feel it's time that he's marched off so that he can talk to Saul. And on meeting with Saul, it's clear that David has come to the battle with the one thing necessary for bringing about victory. He's come with faith in the Lord. Look at verse 32, the first words he speaks to Saul. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Those are some words, aren't they? Convinced that he could contend with Goliath on the battlefield. But Saul also rejects the idea in the very next verse. David, you can't go and fight Goliath. He's a warrior and you're a young man. He's experienced and you're a rookie. You can't do it. Again, this hidden king is being rejected, not just by his family, but now by the rulers of God's people. David, however, is not perturbed. Although rejected, his faith remains in the Lord. There's one other thing to notice about this hidden king. Not only is he rejected, he is also presented as weak. David eventually persuades Saul that he should be basically sent out to fight Goliath. He does it by telling him of the victories that he's won over lions and bears as he's fought them, as he's guarded the sheep, and he said, I'll do the same. And the reason he's sure of his victory is because God has granted him victory to this point. Look at verse 37. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And what is amazing is that Saul says, all right then, off you go. And he sends him out to fight the Philistine. But first he tries to clothe David in the strength that he can give him, the strength of his armour. But David tries it on, and don't believe your children's Bibles, it's not that the armour is too big. David is a young man, not a baby boy. Instead, he's just not used to it. That's what verse 39 says. And so he puts it to one side. So instead of going out to battle clothed in strength from armour, he goes out in the weakness of a shepherd. He takes the weapons a shepherd would wield, a staff, a sling, some stones. And when lined up against what Goliath's going to wear, it all appears pretty weak. David is bringing a staff to a sword fight. Now, sure enough, it will turn out that David's weapons are perfectly good enough for the battle he's going to. 
But if we're honest, shepherds' weapons appear pretty weak in the theatre of war, don't they? The mention, again, of David taking his staff in hand sounds a lot like Moses, another staff-wielding leader of God's people who would destroy a serpent-like enemy, Pharaoh. So maybe, maybe there's hope for Israel yet in their rejected and weak king. For a people who are faced with an enemy that is just too much for them, God has provided a king that is too much for their enemies. But don't miss the fact that this king is rejected and he is weak, or at least he appears weak. No one would have guessed that victory is about to come through him. Now, the the picture of David here as the champion king of Israel is ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus, David's son, the one who ultimately will be too much for his enemies, was also rejected by his family and rejected by the leaders of God's people, the rulers of his day. But more than that, he he appeared weak. Jesus appeared weak and more than appeared weak, he, he appeared to be defeated as he died upon a cross. But there we find that through both his rejection and his weakness, this champion king is too much for the enemies of God's people. In his rejection, in his weakness, Jesus conquers over sin and death and Satan at the cross. Now that's the the hidden king. What about the revealed king now? The revealed king in verses 41 to 51. Well now at last it's showtime. David heads out to do battle with Goliath. But David's appearance does nothing for Goliath's mood. I mean, Goliath just presumes the Israelites are taking the mickey, sending out this guy dressed like a shepherd. Look at his response in verse 42. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Now, whatever trash talk Goliath can muster, David can more than keep pace with him. Verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, again, to the untrained eye, it looks like David has come to the battle unarmed. But he's armed with the name of the Lord Almighty. He comes bearing the Lord's name and trusting his power. These are the best weapons he could ever bring to battle. And in the very next verse, David goes on to say, Goliath, the Lord whom you have defied and called incompetent is going to skewer you like a pig, roast you on a fire and feed you to the wild birds of the air. Then everyone will know that the Lord alone is God. Look at verse 47. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And with this, the talking is over. The camera pans round as the action begins. 
Goliath moves into battle position and David sets off at top speed. And in one fluid action, he grabs his sling and a stone. The stone's likely to be the size of a tennis ball. And without breaking stride, spins the sling above his head faster and faster until he lets it fly. Traveling at over 100 miles an hour, it crunches into the enormous skull of Goliath, cracking the bones and smashing his face. And down he falls on the ground. Wasting no time, David continues his run and gets to Goliath. He unsheathes Goliath's enormous sword and kills him. And then to prove that he is dead, he hacks off his head in gruesome act. And he holds it up for all to see. It would turn out in this moment that God's king is too much for the enemies of his people. God's king is too much for the enemies of his people. The giant who at first appeared all too much, ends up a dead nobody. And one delightful little detail that shows that that's the case is that Goliath's name, do you know how many times it's mentioned in our passage? Just three times. Verse 4, 8 and 23. And the rest of the time he's just referred to as the Philistine or this Philistine. Unlike David, whose name is mentioned well over 25 times. So great is the victory that is worked that the enemies of God's people become nobodies. The effect that this has on Israel is amazing. Look what happens to them. Verse 51, halfway through, when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. The transformation that has cured Israel of their heart disease is to have a king step in and be too much for their enemies. He is the revealed king now, and now the people are courageous to fight. How come? Because their king, their champion king, has won, even though he was rejected and he appeared weak. Now, all of this points us delightfully to the Lord Jesus, and it's seen in the detail. Did you notice what Goliath, David uses to kill Goliath? He uses Goliath's own sword. And in an even more awesome way, the Lord Jesus uses the weapon Satan claims as his own, the weapon of death to defeat Satan himself. And he does that as he lays down his life upon the cross. But look how it's described in Hebrews chapter 2. He too, Jesus, shared in our humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. How could Jesus' death achieve all of this? Well, because his death was payment for sin's penalty, granting forgiveness and silencing Satan's accusations. And the proof of the pudding is in Jesus' resurrection. Uh, David proved that Goliath was a defeated enemy by hacking off his head. Jesus proves that Satan is a defeated enemy when he rose up from the dead. 
God's king is too much for our enemies. But that reality demands a response from you and me. So thirdly, finally, and briefly, trust Jesus as your king. That's our final heading. Trust Jesus as your king. Now, while the Israelites were rescued without any initiative on their part, our situation is different. Because although the Lord Jesus has decisively defeated Satan, sin and death upon the cross, that victory will not be credited to you and me automatically. There is something we must do. We need to say, Lord Jesus, will you be my king? And will you rescue me from these enemies I cannot contend with? Many people watching this evening will have already placed their faith in the Lord Jesus and are now living for him. But you might be watching this and say, well, actually that doesn't describe me at the moment. You may never have bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus. Well, can I leave you considering the following question? How are you going to face your own death? How will you contend with that most dreadful enemy? Because without the Lord Jesus, you have no victory over death. And worse than that, you face the reality of his judgment on into the future. If you never bow the knee to him. So let me plead with you, trust the Lord Jesus as your champion king. Hear and heed what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be judged. He has crossed over from death to life. I would plead with you, put your faith in the Lord Jesus today so that he could grant you victory over death. And for all of those who, like me, have put our faith in the Lord Jesus, reading and studying 1 Samuel chapter 17, we must, must, must keep a firm hold on the Lord Jesus. We will only be able to stand about against these enemies we cannot contend with if Jesus is our victor, our champion king. And the great news is he has won the victory. He's defeated Satan, who's now doomed as a foe who knows his time is short. He has defeated sin. He's paid its penalty and he's broken its power. And he has conquered death, meaning that death now serves him and his people. It will take all of those trusting in Jesus to be in Jesus' presence forever. And if Jesus has defeated all of these enemies... Well, we can trust him for the battle against any other littler enemy that we might face. It's not to say that Jesus, our champion king, promises us perfect, blissful peace. But he does say that in the spiritual battle that we are in, the victory is assured. What will it look like if we're clinging tight onto the Lord Jesus, trusting him to grant us victory? Well, I'll tell you what it won't look like. It won't look like the Israelites at the beginning of the story, racked with fear and terror. Instead, it will look like the Israelites at the end of the story. After David had felled Goliath, they courageously joined the battle. Now, let's be clear, our battle is not a physical battle against a physical foe, but instead is a spiritual battle. And if we are courageous to join this spiritual battle, 
It will be seen in us courageously putting sin to death, persistently resisting the devil and turning away from his temptations. And it will mean that we have unwavering confidence in the face of death. All of which will be coloured in the glorious colour of thanksgiving and praise for the rescue that Jesus has given us we could never have gained ourselves. And if your life is not coloured with thanksgiving and praise, can I ask you how tight you're holding on to Jesus? He is God's champion king who grants us victory over enemies we cannot contend with. Let me plead with you, cling tight to him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you that he is the son of David, the one in whom victory is granted against enemies that we cannot contend with. Thank you that Satan and sin and death are defeated foes for all who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus. Help us trust the Lord Jesus this week, we pray, and might we rejoice and give thanks that he is our King. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we conclude our service, we are going to sing um, again a song that reminds us that our hope is based in Jesus. The song is called, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. gift of grace is Jesus my
We're going to spend a few moments praying now. We're going to pray our way through the Lord's Prayer. I'm using that as a structure to direct us as we pray. And then we're going to conclude by praying for our nation and our government at this time. Father, thank you that the Lord Jesus took time to teach us how to pray. Help us as we pray right now. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father, we long that your name in our nation would be lifted up and seen as holy and awesome. Please would you bring that about by helping us be committed to live in a way that brings you praise. May we live in a way that evidences that we are saved people 
who are living for the King of Kings. Your kingdom come. Father, we long that the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ would expand. We pray that there might be people who at the moment do not know and love the Lord Jesus in Beckles and beyond, that they would come to bow the knee to him. Father, please grow your kingdom in drawing people to be saved. Might you do that through the activities of the market stall and through our personal witness. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we long that we would please you and that we would do what you want. Would you grant us wisdom to know what your will is and your courage to obey? Might that characterise us as a holy people who put you on display to a watching world. Give us today our daily bread. Father, there are many needs within our fellowship, needs of daily provision, but also needs of strength through ill health and struggles, through worries and doubts we need strength and faith. Dear Father, would you give us today the bread that we need, the provision we need. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, we, there is so much we do wrong each day, so much a need of forgiveness. We thank you that we can plead with you to forgive us our sins because of Jesus. Would you do that? And please would you help us be people who are quick to forgive others and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Father, please would you keep our hearts from leading us astray and would you give us courage to resist the devil so that he would flee from us. Might that cash out in holy lives lived this Father, we also want to pause just to pray for our nation. We're concerned at the rising number of cases of coronavirus. We're concerned that that might mean um, loss of life for people. We pray that you would keep folks safe. We pray against, too, that there would be need for a drastic lockdown like there's been in the past. Please, would you give the scientists and the government great wisdom in knowing the right way forward. We do not envy their responsibility, but pray that you might grant them wisdom. And might their, their responsibility help them turn to faith in you, we pray. And help us and other churches know how to conduct ourselves in a way that shows reverence for the authorities that you have put over us. And might it show us also to be people who persistently pray for them. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our time is almost through. There are, however, just a few notices for me to mention to you. Um, the first is to say that there is a playlist of songs available on our YouTube channel, which you can find, which will help you just respond to all that we've been hearing this evening from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, then looking to the week, there are a couple of meetings to mention to you. Uh, the first is to mention that on Tuesday evening at 7.30 on Zoom, um, Beth, our children's worker, is going to be running a meeting in which she's going to explain the plans we have for restarting Sunday school, which we hope will be restarted on the 4th of October. This meeting is especially for parents and carers of children, uh, but if you would like just to tune in to find out what's happening, you're very welcome to do that please do follow the link that you've been emailed out in the notice email last week, or you could get in touch with Beth 
um, via, the, uh, via her email address or via the contact form on the website and she'll send you the link and invite you to come. The second meeting during the week to mention is that on Thursday evening at 7.30, again on Zoom, we have our Home Group Central meeting. Now, this is a, a meeting in which all of the home groups are going to meet in the same place on Zoom. Our meeting is going to include some time altogether, but then time split up specifically in our home groups. We would love you to come and join us, please. Um, there'll be a brief talk. There will then be some time to talk about the passage we've looked at and some time to pray. Both of those discussions and prayer will happen in our small groups. Please do come then, if you can, to Home Group Central on Thursday at 7.30 on Zoom. Again, the link has been sent out to you. Then on to next Sunday, uh, we meet again for our morning services here in the building at the times of 9.15 and 11.15. The 11.15 service, again, will be streamed live on YouTube, so please do tune into our YouTube channel for that. Um, now, at both services next Sunday, um, we will be sharing the Lord's Supper as part of the services in the building, but that aspect of the service will not be included in the live stream. Uh, if you're sat there thinking, well, I won't be able to come to the building, but I'd love to share communion with someone, can I encourage you please to get in touch, um, to ask me, and we will do our best to have someone come and share communion with you in your home. Um, I'll be emailing everybody about that this week, but if you want to jump ahead and email me now, then we'd love to put arrangements together for that to happen, ideally in the week that follows, so the week beginning Monday the 28th of September, although it might be necessary for us to do some the week after that. But please do get in touch if you'd like someone to come and share communion with you in your home, should you not be able to join us for our services next Sunday in the morning. Also, at those services next Sunday, it will be a Harvest Thanksgiving service, and we'll be taking up a special offering in support of Caring for Life. We've already um, handed out some envelopes that look like this to help people remember. If you've not received one and you'd like us to post one to you so that you could then send a gift in, then you're very welcome to do that. You could also send any gift on direct bank transfer if you have the bank details for the church too. Um, also, at that Harvest Thanksgiving, we'll be taking up food donations in support of the food bank. If you'd like to bring them, then we'll have a table so that we can collect them too. Then next Sunday, we also have our evening service, which happens at 9, sorry, 9.30, 6.30 in the evening. We'll continue in our series looking at the book of 1 Samuel. We'd love you to join us then. That will be broadcast on our YouTube channel. And that's all the notices that I need to mention. Safe to say that we, is our intention come the 4th of October, um, so that's two Sundays from now, that we not only will restart our Sunday school, but also that we'll be able to have services here in the church building with a congregation. Please watch this space as we keep you informed about what's happening with that. Well, let's bow our heads as we conclude our service and let's pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, verse 55. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, dear Father, for the victory that we have through the Lord Jesus. May this week be a week where we hold fast to him and put our faith in him each and every day. These things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.